The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. The book of Acts chapter 3. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 3. And, um, oh, this is, this is a great story. We're only going to look at the first 10 verses. It's the first miracle of the church after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a very powerful and, and um, moving story about the healing of a lame man at the beautiful gate. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and we welcome and invite and recognize the presence of your Holy Spirit that is here this evening. Lord, I know that there are many that are listening to this message that really need a word from heaven. They need a word from the Lord. They need a word of encouragement. We have been battling and struggling and wrestling and we realize on one level, you know, economically with a virus, uh, political unrest, social unrest. But Father, we discern that we wrestle not merely against flesh and blood, but we right now as your bride and as the church on the earth are wrestling against principalities and powers uh, and spiritual wickedness in high places. So we need to hear the word of the Lord that will give us faith, that will give us strength, that will give us comfort, and that will bring hope. And so, Lord, may you speak tonight. May we receive your word and your promise to each individual who is here tonight. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so, can you see, I guess, no, you can't. Okay, so here's the first one. I have to check this behind me. Uh, The Lord works through those faithful in prayer. So, Acts chapter 3, we're going to read the first two verses. It says, now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms from those who entered the temple. All right, let's stop there for just a moment. Uh, Here you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is a rushing mighty wind, the sound of a hurricane over the Temple Mount area on Solomon's porch, and then 120. So that gathered a crowd, probably tens of thousands of people were already on the Temple Mount area. And they're all, what was that? It sounded supernatural, and it was. God breathed upon the Temple Mount. So thousands gathered together, and it says that Peter stood up along with the other 11 apostles, and he said, men and brethren, let me tell you what you just have seen and heard. And then there were 120 believers. The Spirit came upon them with fire, and they began speaking through all of these languages of Jews who had come from all over the world, who were there for the the Feast of Pentecost. And they're praising the Lord, their wonderful works of God. And I believe they were saying, Yeshua, Yeshua, 
Messiah, alive and risen and giving glory to God. And when everyone was listening to that, they were marveling at, again, supernatural. Now it's something's happening with these 120 and they're hearing Yeshua again, who they probably knew just 50 days earlier had been crucified on Passover. But now they're saying he's alive. And Peter preaches that Jesus, Yeshua of Nazareth, is alive. He's risen from the dead. And this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And then he said, but you took Christ, Messiah, Jesus, and you crucified him and you buried him. But he is alive, risen from the dead. And I, unafraid, am telling you, I have seen him. And they were cut to the heart and 3,000 got saved. So now all of a sudden you have 3,000 Jewish believers that Jesus is the Messiah. And again, we read in verse 1 of Acts chapter 3, so Peter and John, probably the following Sabbath, they, they went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So I love this when you have these two personalities. Um, and I want to just say this, that in these challenging times, I want every one of you that are listening to me, all of you need at least one brother or one sister that is your partner, your friend, that you, God will come together with you. Um, don't be a lone ranger, but have someone that you are with because the kingdom of heaven is manifest on the earth when two amen. or three gather together. Can I hear an amen? amen? So even if you can just find one, and if you don't have one friend to confide in, to share your burdens, your challenges, your doubts, your fears, uh, you know, when, when you share your burdens, it's like they're cut in half because now you're sharing. Someone else shoulders their love, their prayers, their concern, and they listen to you. And I love how for the last three and a half years, out of the 12 disciples, there were little groups and little packs and little, uh, you know, friendships that grew there. And one of them was John or Peter and John. And Peter was, we know what Peter was like, and I'm going to just simplify and say it this way. Peter was a doer. Peter did not like waiting around. He did not like sitting around. In fact, one of his last questions and Jesus talking about when I'm coming again and this, and that, and then Peter says, what do you want us to do? <laughs> and I know that there's some of you that are like doers. Give me an action plan. Tell me what to do. And I'll, I'll you know, fill in the blanks. But his best and closest friend and brother was John. And John was not so much a doer. I mean, yes, John lived a righteous life and he was very spiritual and godly, but John was, his personality was, he was a dreamer. So I, I am sure that, you know, doers, when you're in a relationship, they're talking about, okay, what are we, hey, hey, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let's, let's plan something. And dreamers are like, you know, you're really irritating me right now. And I, I'd just like you to calm down and not say anything for a while because I'm trying to think and get a little space in my head. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, Sometimes that happens in marriages. You have one that's a doer and somebody then that's totally opposite and they're a dreamer. And for some weird reason, doers and dreamers that are 180 degrees opposite of one another end up being attracted or hanging out or getting married to one another. Can you imagine? 
And so that can add some interesting little spark and sizzle to a relationship or to a friendship. But in a way, we need, if you're a doer, you need the man or woman that's dreaming, that's meditating, that's thinking, that's in their head. Uh, and, you know, they're always meditating, they're always praying, they're always thinking about this and that. But on the other hand, if you're a dreamer, at some point, you can, o- you can only think so much. And then finally, it's like, okay, what are we going to do? And they're, they're the ones that come together and put together an action plan. What I want to say here is that during this unusual time right now, and some of you, it is in your marriage, some of it is, could be your business partner, some of you, it is your closest friends, and you notice that we're really opposite. We like each other, and we're friends, but we have contrasting personalities. And I just want to say to you that Christ is the common ground for all relationships and for all friendships and for all business partnerships and for all marriages. And though there are contrasting personalities, there is still that beautiful unity that comes through being in the Spirit and following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just love that these two very, very different individuals, two very contrasting personalities, Peter and John, are on their way to worship together. They're on their way to the temple together. And, the, you know, and when the, were they going? It says they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. I love that. Because that is when God does miracles, he, when we become praying people. How many of you would say the last four or five months you've been praying more than you ever have in your whole life, right? We are to be anxious for nothing but with everything and with all things giving thanks. Pray without ceasing. we got enough to worry about, so if you just turn every worry into prayer, you'll be praying without ceasing anyway. So the beautiful thing is that when the Peter and John and the other disciples originally got together with the Lord, they were competing with one another about who will be the greatest in the kingdom. I love it here in Acts chapter 3, after the resurrection, after Peter's failure in denying the Lord, and after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, they're no longer competing for a place or a role. They're faithfully working together to build the church. And they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. I want you to note that the Jewish emphasis of the early church is very, very strong. Peter, in his first message at Pentecost, and then his second message, he's going to give another message after this miracle, because this miracle is going to gather another crowd of probably hundreds, if not thousands of people. They've never seen anything like it in the open air, publicly, on Solomon's porch, right next to the temple, a lame man is healed in front of the eyes of everyone that is there. So Peter addressed in his sermons, we're going to get Peter's second sermon, Jewish men and women. He called them, you are the children of the prophets and of the covenant. He refers to the Jewish fathers as well as the Jewish prophets. He's going to use a phrase shortly that's called the restitution of all things or the times of the restitution of all things. That refers specifically to the messianic prophetic idea of the kingdom of heaven manifest on the earth. 
And the message of the gospel from then in Pentecost until today in 2020 is still to the Jew first. Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek and to all the world. Well, we've honored that and we've been heavily involved in that. And by the way, we still have what's called the Nehemiah Fund because we believe that God's original promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God told Abraham when he made a promise to him and Abraham believed in the promise of God. And God was so happy to find a human being that would believe in his promise He said, I reckon that belief to you as righteousness. Abraham didn't perform. He didn't do anything. He didn't give money to the poor. He didn't do some holy act. He just believed in the promise of God. And God said, I credit you with righteousness. And that's, we are the children now, even Gentiles as well as Jews, we're all the children of Abraham by faith who gave us a gospel, good news, that we're saved not by our deeds or our good works, but by our faith and the great promises of God and His love and forgiveness. Amen? Amen. So this miracle we're going to see is the first recorded miracle through the believers. Jesus has ascended. Jesus is up in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We've had three and a half years of unbelievable miracles. No man, no prophet had ever done miracles on the level of Jesus, including the raising of the dead, including his own resurrection from the dead. But now Jesus has ascended. But 50 days later, the Holy Spirit descends upon the church. And now a miraculous, supernatural, divine circumstance happens. A lame man is healed in front of the eyes of thousands of people, and the miracles continue, but it's now no longer through physically Jesus. It's through the followers of Jesus Christ. So this first miracle, I believe, of the lame man is is symbolic. Everything, one of the ways that you learn about the Bible and interpret the Bible is there's a rule. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but they taught it to us many years ago in Bible school. It's called the rule of first mention. So if you've never heard of that, you might want to write that down. Whenever you're studying some subject, like we've talked about dreams, for instance, and you want to learn about dreams, and you want to go to the Bible and look up all of the references to dreams, where should I begin? Go to the very first reference of a dream in the Bible, and always the first reference of any subject or topic becomes like the foundation upon which you add all the other layers. So this first miracle of a lame man who was lame from the time of his birth until now was a sign. In fact, this lame man who could not walk and who was healed is symbolic of the entire Jewish nation. Literally, this lame man that is miraculously healed so that he's able to walk, and in fact, we're going to find him walking and leaping and praising God as a miracle would have triggered in the minds of all the Jewish people, hey, you know, our father, Jacob, wrestled with an angel all night long, 
and then wouldn't let him go and he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And, and so the angel touched uh, the, the hip, his hip, and put it out of socket. But he did bless him and he gave him a new name. He said, you've prevailed. You've wrestled with the Lord and you have prevailed. And I'm going to change your name from Jacob, which means heel catcher. What a great name to give your kid, right? That they named their kids based on circumstances. And of course, Jacob was a twin and his brother Esau was the first twin. So he was the first one delivered. And as Esau is being delivered on his little heel, there's a tiny little hand holding onto the heel. That was Jacob. So they gave him the name Yaakov, heel catcher. And Jacob spent the rest of his life trying to pull people. You know, he felt like, I got to get the blessing of God. And so he stole it from his brother. It became his whole life. And he ended up walking with a limp. But when he walked with a limp, wrestling with God, his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, which means prince with God. You wrestled with God and prevailed. And so there's something about limping and being made whole Jacob was a symbol of the nation of the Jewish people, and this miracle is also a symbol of the miraculous power of God. So now in this miracle, Jesus' followers, Peter and John, are now his instruments for the ongoing miracles and healings in the kingdom of heaven. His believers and followers will be his ambassadors. They will be his representatives. They will be his messengers. They will be his witnesses, including all of the believers that are here today in 2020. You and I are the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter and John came into the temple at the hour of prayer. It says it was at the ninth hour. What does that mean? Basically, uh, six o'clock in the morning is when the day would begin And so the ninth hour of the day was three o'clock in the afternoon. So the Jewish sacrificial system was they had sacrifice at 9 a.m. Then they would have another sacrifice at noon. And then the early evening sacrifice was at three o'clock in the afternoon. Three times a day sacrifice. Three times a day worship. Three times a day, that became the rhythm of the Jewish people to pray. How many of you remember that the ancient Hebrew prophet Daniel prayed three times a day? And guess what? We basically pretty much know when he prayed. He prayed at 9 o'clock in the morning. He would pray again at 12 noon. And then he would pray again at 3 in the afternoon. Now, I want to just share with you something that I've been doing, and I'm going to challenge all of you to join me. I have now on my iPhone, I've got a little beeper that tells me when it's nine in the morning and when it's noon and when it's three in the afternoon. And I could be talking or driving somewhere or ordering something in line and and it goes off and then I turn it off. But when I get a moment, then I take those moments and I begin to pray, Lord, I am praying for thy kingdom to come, thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for the harvest that you are wanting to bring upon the earth right now, getting into the rhythm of praying three times a day. So how many of you would consider praying and say, you know, join me? So 
I ask you and invite you to join me to pray those three times a day like Daniel, and that's what Peter and John were doing. And so literally as the smoke is ascending into the heavens because of the sacrifices at three in the afternoon, it would be the hour of prayer. So they're entering into the temple at that, at that time. And we read, let's see where we, well, let's go, let's go back now to uh, chapter three and read verses two through five. It says, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. All right, here's, I want you to note this. The Holy Spirit is seeking to grab our attention. So there were thousands of people uh, that are in Solomon's porch near the temple. There are probably hundreds of beggars. In fact, when we go to Israel even today, there are nine gates that are around the walls of Jerusalem and around many of those gates, you've got tourists from all over the world that go in through the gates. And to this day, there are beggars and there are poor and there are those who are lame and have various conditions, maybe refugees who have come from other countries, and they are out with their hands out. I mean, it's just like it was 2,000 years ago. And so there would have probably been, there's thousands of people entering into this gate and there are probably scores of people that are beggars. But it's interesting that Peter noticed this one lone beggar. And God just put that on Peter. Now imagine as Peter is walking in through this gate and he sees you know, everything and everybody and there's the beggars. They, they position themselves at the right place to get attention and they look sad and they have their little hands out for an alms. And as Peter is walking, I want you to realize that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, is in Peter. And as Peter is walking, now with the Holy Spirit upon him and the Holy Spirit in him, he sees a man and something happens to Peter. It's like he experiences Jesus' eyes looking upon that lame man. He's watched with his own eyes Jesus heal many other lame men and women. But now he sees this lame man and he can't take his eyes off of him. And he notices him. And this is at the beautiful gate. What is, what is the beautiful gate? Uh, it was a gate that was basically covered in Corinthian bronze. It was called beautiful because it, it looked golden. It looked like pure gold. And I want you to notice it was the eastern gate. Very, very symbolic. Did you know that in the Garden of Eden... Uh, there was a canopy and a protection and a wall all around paradise. And the only gate that we know in the Garden of Eden was where? On the eastern side. When Jesus rode from the Mount of Olives and down the Kidron Valley and back up, where was he heading? Well, the Mount of Olives is on the eastern side. The prophet said the Messiah would come from the east and therefore go through the 
eastern gate. It's symbolic all the way back to the book of Genesis that this is where the kingdom of heaven would come. So that's where Peter and John are walking at the hour of sacrifice and the time of prayer, and they notice a beggar there, and they come upon him, and they say, look at us. Look at us. We have something for you. <laughs> now, they, he didn't get what he thought he needed, which was silver and gold or something practical. He got something even greater and even better. Amen? Now, I want to just say, uh, I want to say something to you guys right now, because what I want to do is I want to make an application point from this story, Peter and John, two friends who saw the Lord brought to their attention this lame man, the spirit came upon Peter and he said, look on us, something supernatural is about to happen to you. And, I want, and I've been saying and laying the foundation that what began with Peter and John and continued through the other apostles and through the other believers in the book of Acts, through the church 2,000 years ago, is to continue happening through you and me today. Therefore, here is my application point for you. Right now, this week, this time, this season in your lives... I pray right now in the name of Jesus that in the coming days, God is going to fasten your eyes upon someone that is lame. Maybe not physically lame, but they, are, they could be morally lame. You know what I mean? They've been doing whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want, and, and, and they're dying and they're broken. We know that you know, suicide uh, and among, well, many different ages, but especially a lot of young people, it is a battle royale. So we need to be open. And, and look, there are other people that, that are getting weary and they're just getting tired. There are people losing businesses. There are things that are going bankrupt. There's fear. There's anxiety. There's political unrest. I mean, you add the whole laundry list. I don't think that we will have to look far that we will find someone that is lame, that is broken, that something isn't quite right within them. And I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna go into the details, but this last week, I, I've had several people come into my life that were broken, that were lame, that were beat up, uh, that were ready to just kind of, you know, quit or throw in the towel or they're at the end, they don't know what to do. Um, and these are believers. And there was one situation of a friend that I've had a relationship all through the ministry going back years and heard that he was battling physically. I mean, literally, physically, everything was falling apart. And then, you know, he was battling with his mind. He wasn't able to sleep. And I don't know if you know if you can't sleep. That just, that gives the devil all kinds of territory in your brain. And so I called a couple of people. Um, uh, literally, I, you know, I called, well, it started with my wife and then my daughter and then another friend of mine. And I said, hey, we need to do uh, a kind of a spiritual surgery here. We need to go. We need to literally physically go knock on his door, go inside, sit down, look him in the eye, talk to him and listen to him as he poured out a lot. 
and then say, you know what, we hear you and our hearts grieve with you and for you, but we're going to pray for you right now in the name of Jesus that you're going to have a turning point uh, because it, it was complicated and there were hospital things and legal things and all this stuff. And so we just gathered around and then we laid hands on him and prayed for him. And I am telling you, it was like a lame man had been resurrected and able to stand and able to walk. So what I want to say is, will you be a Peter and John or maybe it's Mary and Martha and when there's someone that you know, instead of just saying, well, you know, keep, keep in touch with me, send a text, uh, you know, whatever, there are times where we got to literally, this is a very personal story, where Peter and John got personally engaged and personally involved and literally came up to this man and a transformation happened. Look with me in verse uh, 6. Well, it's actually going back to uh, verse 5. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have <laughs> I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Yeah. Woo! Hallelujah. Amen. The mighty name of Jesus. When you pray for someone... You pray for them in the mighty name of Jesus. Because there is something powerful about the name of Jesus. Supernatural about the name of Jesus. The whole universe responds to the name of Jesus. Because a name is not just an identification of, oh, you're this person instead of that person. But this particular Yeshua of Nazareth, Christ the Lord carries authority, reputation, and power. When somebody says, you can use my name, you really hope their name is worth using. But when you use the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. His name is above every name in this world and also supernaturally. So... I want you to, re- we're going to read a couple of scriptures. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name, so you guys are saying it out loud with me, right? Yes. So let's read it. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then this one. I love this one. Uh, oh, we did, forgot this part. Okay, let's read this. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that. At the name of Jesus, every demon must bow. Every opposition, every accusation, every lie, every fear, every anxiety must bow before the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. Let's read this. Here's how high his name is. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, 
but also in that which is to come. He has the highest name both now and on into eternity. Eternity meaning it never changes. And you have been given the right and the honor and the privilege of using and exercising his name. When you pray, you pray in the name of Jesus. When you take authority over circumstances or disease or demons or whatever it is, you say, in the mighty name of Jesus, you must submit, you must bow, you must back down, you must leave now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen? I love this. Peter exercised his faith. He declared the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And then he asked the man to do that which was impossible. We're going to close with these verses uh, 7 through 10. So he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately. All right. So look with me at verse 7. It says, so he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I, I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood up and walked and entered the temple with them, walking leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate, the eastern gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them on the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed, And so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. And then he goes on to preach this whole sermon. He had a crowd again, and he preached Jesus Christ. And what I want to say to you is that he he gave a command that is impossible. You know who also gave commands that were impossible? Jesus. When's the last time you exercised your faith to a circumstance, a situation, or a person, or an event, and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, move, or whatever. You fill it in, but we are to take the Bible and do what Jesus did. You ask the impossible. Now, it's our job to exercise faith. But we can't do anything. Like Peter said, I didn't, make, I didn't do anything. I just used the name of Jesus, and I exercised my faith, and God did the miracle and the miraculous. Amen? So here's what I love, and I'll close with this. Peter fastens his eyes on this guy. No, 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 no. Silver and gold, have I got something better, way better for you than that, pal. He goes, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And then Peter didn't wait for the guy to stand up on his own or look at him confused. Peter reached down after he said that, grabbed him by the hand, and pulled him up onto his feet. And the Bible says that as Peter reached out and lent a hand, and as he pulled him up by faith, and here's the beautiful thing, and, you know, it's 
When you go into the Greek language, the word that is used here for foot and for ankle in this are two words that are never used again in the entire New Testament. They are very specific Greek words that would have been used only by somebody that was Greek that was a doctor. And guess what? The author of the book of Acts was a man named Luke who actually was a physician and he used very exact language, medical Greek terms to say that this man, while, while he picked him up, it literally means that his, his feet and bones and tendons popped into the socket supernaturally right as he did that. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.